background of the flood. Noah and his family have exited. Noah built an altar, chapter 8 and verse 20. Worship the Lord by offering burnt offerings. Picture of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. The Lord smelled a sweet savor. Christ is a sweet savor to the Lord. I would like to just read a few uh, words from the end of chapter 8. The Lord smelled the sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and, every, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat or food for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh and the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, shall man shall... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. With every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations, I do set a bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy the earth, or to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me 
and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And God bless this reading of his word. We've seen hijackings take place in the past. For instance, the hijacking of an airplane is to take it where it doesn't want to go or where it shouldn't go. And it's often been said that there are those that are hijacking the rainbow. Hijackers may alter the definition of an English word. It's very difficult for us to use the word gay anymore without people thinking of a different usage of the word than was intended. They've taken that word to a place it shouldn't have gone. Our forefathers or our parents and grandparents appreciated the term gay. It spoke of joy. It spoke of, of happiness. But you know, people cannot hijack or alter the word of God without eternal consequences. Revelation 22 warns those, as well as Deuteronomy 4, who add or subtract from God's word and take it to where it shouldn't. They may paint rainbows on flags, banners, murals, and shirts, but it's God who paints rainbows in the sky. They can't repeat that. Genesis 9 forever gives us God's sign and meaning of the rainbow. And I would like us to consider the simple subject, if, if ever you see a rainbow, we have here in Genesis chapter 9 the origin of the rainbow. Notice he calls it my bow in verse 13. My bow in the cloud. Don't ever forget that. It's God's rainbow. It's three times he uses this term. Verse 14, the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Verse 16, the bow shall be in the cloud. Now the word bow in, in the other places other than Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28 is used of battle bows. An interesting thought. When we think of a rainbow, we think of an arch. And actually a total circle. You only see the arch, but it's, it's, the point is it's, it's complete. But it's interesting. It's an interesting thought. I don't think that it replaces the original thought, but our Reformed brethren feel like the rainbow is really a symbol of the battle bow. God has reversed the direction of his arrow away from the earth. Just an interesting thought. It's now pointed upwards and not downwards at man. 
though it seems like a, an interesting thought, I still, I still think the original intent and, and the arch may indicate the fact that God is protecting the earth from the rain, from the storm that would cause another worldwide deluge. But just thinking of God's, the circle that's complete, you know, just God's promise that she'll never fail, as we sang earlier, standing on the promises of God. We're introduced to what's called covenant theology in this passage, the first time that the word covenant is used. We, we need to get a grips on this. God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He doesn't just have willy-nilly interaction with his creatures. God um, makes covenants, covenant relationships with his people. And, of course, we see this. It's a, someone, someone defined a covenant as a bond in blood Sovereignly administered, old Palmer Robertson. But the fact is the Lord didn't ask permission here of all of his creatures. Of course, there were only eight that remained. But he didn't ask Noah and his sons and their wives permission to, uh, make, to, to agree with his covenant. He said, I make a covenant. You see the I six times in this passage. Not we. Now, in a sense, a covenant is between two. But the covenants God makes are sovereignly administered, and uh, we receive this covenant from God. Now, we know, we know the subject of covenants. Covenants, as far as human beings are concerned, are usually made between equals. We know familiarly the covenant of marriage. God has said that Marriage is a covenant. It's not, again, a willy-nilly, loose relationship. It is to be made seriously, and it is an agreement that's made that we will promise faithfulness and we will be, we will be faithful till death. And there are other covenants. We make covenants with, in our business relationships, the, the uh, ownership with the workers. We make a covenant. They have their stipulations, you know, their their ter- their terms and our terms, and we and we we enter into a covenant relationship. Uh, even teams in leagues, soccer teams, there's covenants being made between, you know, the the league and and the teams, and we seek to be faithful in our covenant relationship. The church. Membership is a covenant. You read in, for instance, Nehemiah. I believe God's people should have a, should make a covenant together to be faithful to the Lord and to one another. I believe it's it's biblical. We're not to have just a, a loose, willy-nilly relationship, but a relationship that's bound. And the Lord, of course, the Lord Jesus speaks of the, of the covenant of salvation. This is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. So you have covenants throughout the Old Testament final, being finalized in the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have it actually start even with Adam. In Hosea it says, Adam broke the covenant. We like Adam transgressed the covenant, it says in Hosea chapter 6. So we, we, we look at the covenant of 
of, of works before they fell and the covenant of grace after they fell. Now you have the covenant of Noah. Now this is particularly made with all of creation. And if God didn't make a covenant with all of creation, we read here that he would have to continue to decimate the earth because of the wickedness of man. And the fact is that God has promised he will not destroy the earth by water anymore. And you read between the lines, again, because the elect have to live out their lives and they've got to be saved and the Lord is long-suffering toward us. But you read that if the Lord, can, the Lord, if, you, if, if the wickedness of man deserved to be for them to be wiped out from the earth, they would have to continue. The Lord would have continuing uh, worldwide floods to destroy the earth. Look at verse 21, for instance, in chapter 8. I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. What's that mean? His... Wickedness from youth deserves, again, a cataclysmic judgment. But if the Lord, in other words, the wickedness of man is going to continue. And only by the grace of God and salvation in Jesus Christ will any of us wicked be turned to be righteous. And so the Lord in his goodness and mercy and to preserve the salvation of his elect determined not to destroy the world anymore by water. He will preserve it to judgment day. Now God had just destroyed the earth by water, by a universal flood. Just ponder this, there were eight, eight people left. Eight. It's estimated that there were at least two million people that were in existence at that time. That's probably a low estimate. Eight people left. So the covenant-making God establishes a covenant with all mankind that he will not destroy the earth again. He makes a covenant relationship with all creation. God will not repeat this judgment particularly Man will continue to repeat his rebellion, but God will not repeat the judgment. He will be even good to the wicked. He reigns, he waters the gardens of the wicked as well as the righteous. And so God paints his bow in the cloud, whether it's before, during, or particularly after rain or storm or hurricane, to remind us of his goodness and his grace. First of all, the bow is a memorial of universal judgment. Let's keep that in mind. Whenever we see a rainbow, keep in mind what's the background of the rainbow. You particularly see the vivid colors of the rainbow when there's a dark background. When there's a background of clouds, it comes right after the universal flood. Keep that in mind. Noah and his family have just exited the ark. What do they see? What do they see when they exit the ark? 
They see some new light. But ponder what they actually see. They see seedlings, not trees anymore. Extremes, not temperate. Blades of grass and not grasslands yet. Scenes of destruction, not creation. Think about all the carcasses and especially the corpses that they would view before complete decomposition of all of these bodies. Fossils everywhere they went. Fossils that were quickly preserved because of the laying down of all the layers of soil. So how often did they take a take a shovel to the ground and pull up a fossil. Turn the corner and there's a corpse. And so as they stood there and Noah you can understand why quickly he builds an ar- he builds an altar. He's got to worship God. He's a God to be reckoned They've known that for over a year. The Lord warned the people, chapter 6, it would be 120 years before their lives would end. He gave them the warning. You've got 120 years. And it took Noah about 100 years and his family and probably the patriarchs that were still living at that time and maybe some, some lost people joined in for the project. There's always kind people. You always find somebody that will stab you in the back. But there's always somebody kind, gentle, and yet lost that will join the team. It just makes you sad when you think that Noah, before they went into the ark, maybe some of those kind people were around and saying, Noah, I do think you've taken this too far. This is a beautiful, a beautiful boat. But I think you're going to have to make it a home. There's no water around Noah. Can you see all these people, these friends of Noah and his family? And Noah's saying, please, come in the ark. It's finished. Now it's ready. It's, it's ready. It, it's, it's ready for the water. It's, it's, it's ready to sail. He saw death and not life. And so they worship the Lord there at that altar. Chapter 8, verse 20. Bowed their heads and hearts and said, Lord, this sacrifice is, is in our place. We deserve to die. You spared us. The ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark took the brunt of God's storm, of God's wrath, and they were safe inside. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. It's a memorial, though, of universal judgment. I know we're quick to look at a rainbow and see its beauty and think of God's promise, but remember, it's a memorial of judgment. The background is darkness, clouds, It's in the cloud, he said. 
So the rainbow is associated with judgment. It's interesting, again, he calls it a bow. Now it's a rainbow in the New Testament. It's interesting, the word is iris. We just kind of discussed that, but the Greek word for rainbow that's found in Revelation 4, verse 3, and Revelation 10, verse 1, is the name, is, is the word iris. But it's the word battle bow in the Hebrew. So it's associated with judgment. God, God was a warrior against the wickedness of man. And so even the bow itself and the curvature of the, of the bow speaks of judgment. But again, mercy in that it's now turned the opposite direction. Certainly there's a suggestion there. But chapter 6 and verse 5 says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That's why he sent the judgment in the first place. But it's interesting how in chapter 13, he says the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. Chapter 18, the sin of Sodom was exceedingly heavy. And so what an insult to God that the very people whom God terms wicked and sinful hijack the symbol that's meant to show God's goodness and grace. God destroyed man in part, not altogether, but in part for the sin of sodomy. And yet we have LGBTQ+, lesbian, homosexuality of females, gay, homosexuality of males, bisexual. Can you imagine? Can you be both? Transsexual, can you change? Alter God's creation? It's a fly in the face of God as creator and sovereign ruler. Queer. Those who fly in the face of established norms, whatever they may be. And it'll keep going. And the plus sign. And should not our friends in these communities flee from the knowledge of wrath that is past? Will they not turn to Genesis chapters 6 through 9 and see the rainbow has the background of judgment, not happiness? Oh, a plea, a plea to lesbians and gay and bisexual and transsexual and queer. A plea, a plea to you to see the rainbow as a promise of grace if you repent of your sin. The rainbow is a memorial of God's judgment. God is just. You and I, don't want to pray, God, be just toward me. Justice toward you and me is judgment. But if we plead God's justice in Christ, God has to save justly. And he saves us justly because he punishes Jesus Christ in our place. Again, think of the ark. The ark was 
punished, pummeled in that in that sea, in that worldwide ocean. All the winds and waves and the rain pelting, pummeling, all the noise, the the loudness for 40 days and 40 nights. You ever been somewhere where you just can't wait to get quiet? They had to have been just trembling. Could they have gotten any sleep for 40 days and 40 nights? When will this end? Yet Jesus Christ would say for you and me, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. Oh, the pain. Oh, the pain of the crown of thorns. Oh, the pain of the spikes. Oh, the emotional and spiritual pain of suffering at the hands of God. Whenever you and I see a rainbow, remember, God is just. If ever we see a rainbow, secondly, the bow is a mark of God's goodness. God is gracious. Again, chapter 6 and verse 3 seems to indicate that God was saying to Noah and through Noah to, to those that he could reach and beyond, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that all he is also flesh. But he gives them time. He gives them a... He gives them a Timeline, yet his days shall be 120 years. That seems to indicate at that point, okay, you've got 120 years before this cataclysm comes. That's God's goodness right there. What does God say to you and me? He doesn't say to you and me, you've got five years before you die. He doesn't even say to you and me, you've got one day before you die. So what is God's message to you and me? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Very few people have gotten a timeline like Hezekiah had 15 years. I may not make it past this message this morning. I could drop right here. soul because of Christ would waft into the heavens to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. For many generations, it wasn't it God's goodness, for many generations the footprints of the flood would be seen. And it would be a while before it wore off, but things do wear off. I mean, 9-11 pretty poignant for a while. One minister from Philadelphia said his church was filled for two weeks, but it began to fade. It was just two weeks. But there had to have been so much evidence of the flood for so long. It's like a world war. That war a little longer than 9-11. All these, all these stories of a flood and all these different um, nations, doesn't that not indicate how it 
it reverberated throughout the earth. Of course, there were only eight people left, but they continued to tell the story of the flood, even in nations that were unbelieving. And now they call it a myth. Springville Journal, did you read that? Was it, pardon? They call it, they call it a tale now. They're having a play about it in Springville Center for the Arts, but they call it a tale. Think about, again, Noah and his sons. It would, wouldn't it terrorize them if they begin to see clouds forming and the raindrops falling? The drops of rain and storms would terrify them unless God came with his promise. So after the fire in 2019, it wasn't long before the fire alarm went off. I was traumatized by the fire alarm. It was only a month or two after the fire. And so things traumatize you and me when we've been traumatized by something, whatever it might be. It might be a car wreck. You, that you hear, you've been in a car wreck. Might be the scream of a person or the bark of a dog. And so the Lord knew that He needed this promise. They needed the promise. Don't be afraid. It will rain, but it will not cause a deluge. God promises to not destroy the earth again by waters of a flood. And yet how often people take the mercy of God, the long-suffering, the goodness of God as a license to sin since judgment isn't going to happen again then. Time elapses to wear off the fear. The lie of the myth enters. The pride of unbelief. We presume upon the goodness of God, don't we? All things continue as they are, Peter says, but they didn't, know, they didn't remember about the actual flood. The elect cannot emerge if God keeps destroying the earth. Man's wickedness is such that God would have to destroy repeatedly. Chapter 8, verse 21. But he will reserve the earth for one last cataclysm. Peter says the earth is now reserved, not for, by water, for water, but reserved for fire. Of which Sodom, interesting, ironically, is a foreboding. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and his neighboring cities, not by water, but by, by fire. Foreboding of judgment. So whenever you see a rainbow... That children's song, but it's not a children's song, it's our song too, isn't it? Whenever you see a rainbow, know that God is love. But I would sing it if I remembered all the words, but I can try to say it. We should sing it. Mr. Noah built an ark. The people thought he was a lark. Mr. Noah pleaded so. But into the ark they would not go. 
Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. And only eight were saved. The animals entered two by two. The big giraffe and the kangaroo. All were safely gathered in before that great and awful day. Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. But only only eight were saved. And so we close with God's grace of this song. If ever you see a rainbow, if ever you see a rainbow, whenever you see a rainbow, know that God is love because we're still breathing. We're here. There's hope. If you're lost, there's hope. Today's the day of salvation. The bow is pointed in the opposite direction now. It's an arch that's, as it were, preventing a deluge from above. God would not be your warrior, your your enemy today. He He would be your friend. And the offer of salvation is here to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to flee from the wrath that's coming. Thirdly, if ever you see a rainbow, God is worthy of praise. The bow is a motivation for humility, not gay pride. For repentance and not defiance. For gratitude and not presumption. For worship and not idolatry. 9.16, God has made a covenant with every living creature of all flesh that's upon the earth. Between me and all flesh, chapter 9, verse 17. But all flesh will not be saved. We look at this as God's goodness. But God's goodness alone is not sufficient for salvation. It's his grace that you need as well as his goodness. He's good to all. But his mercy, is his grace, is everlasting to those who believe in him. Lord, I want to be saved by the one who's pictured by the sacrifice at Noah's altar. And yet, when you think about the Lord saying, look up and see the bow in the cloud. But what's even higher than that, as it were? What's what we really need, the symbol, let's just say, the symbol of the cross. Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth. When I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. Look beyond the rainbow and see Christ. He's been lifted up at the cross and he's ascended to heaven. He's above the rainbow. He's seated at God's right hand. And the Bible tells us in Revelation, there's a rainbow round about the throne where Jesus sits. And in chapter 10 of Revelation, that mighty angel comes and it says he's clothed with a cloud and a rainbow is round about and his one foot is on the land and one foot on the sea. It's a picture of Christ reigning sovereign over heaven and earth and the seas and in all deep places. 
Look up and see Jesus. Look unto him and be saved. Are you saved from your sins? Are you delivered? I'm not asking if you're religious. Or if you go to church. Judas went to church. Judas was, a, was, was religious. Judas is a warning to all churchgoers. But you can go from the pew to hell. Are you in covenant with God in salvation? Are you in covenant with his church? You see, the background of Jesus is judgment, isn't it? Oh, the darkness that descended for three hours. Jesus was in the foreground darkness of the light, like the bow. Jesus is our rainbow. Only an infinite person could pay an infinite price in finite time. It's an interesting thought that the juxtaposition, chapter 9, verse 21, right after Noah is given this covenant and the warning involved with it and so on, he lapses into drunkenness. It's a warning to all of us. You can be spiritual in one moment and in the next. And the point here is not to mock Noah. The point is to warn you and me to be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. To be ready. The devil will especially attack us when we're, when we're walking with God when, when God, when we're talking with God and he's ready. He wants to pounce on us and we've got to stay close to the Lord. We've got to keep the rainbow in view. We've got to seek Christ in view. Lord, save me. Keep me, keep me, Lord, in the hours of temptation. Lord, I'm so weak, I'm so unbelieving, I'm so cowardly. There are so many warnings in the Bible about people who are serving the Lord and done great things for God, and then they fall. Remember Elijah. Man, how heroic, how courageous, how strong. And he Please, with a little warning. Noah learned his lesson and he found out which of his sons were believing, didn't he? Startled him. His own sin allowed his son to mock him. But we see the strength grace of God in Shem and in, in, in Japheth protecting the integrity of their father and trying to recover from the shame that he brought to the family. Don't ever think what was the Bible say, if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. A godly man like Noah close to the Lord. Confess our sins. Call upon his name. Guard against the wicked one. Be sober and vigilant. 
Because your adversary, our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. May I close the fact that the bow can often be misread or people can allow it to be misleading. The bow, the rainbow, is a sign that God will not destroy the earth by water anymore. It does not say that God will never destroy the earth again. Period. People mistake the difference. By waters of a flood, verse 11, the water shall no more become a flood. But turn with me to 2 Peter. Peter warns against the presumption, the mis- being misled. Let me just begin with verse 1, chapter 3 of 2 Peter. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And Peter says, Wait a minute, they're ignorant of this. This they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And he says, and they're also ignorant of the future judgment that's coming. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And he tells us why the interlude, the long interlude between the water flood and the fire judgment. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. It's not we interpret God's goodness And we say it's slack because he's not brought judgment of such universal nature. He's brought judgments. Hasn't he? Local judgments. He's brought judgments. There have been hurricanes. There have been floods. There have been volcanic eruptions. There have been world wars. There have been earthquakes. There have been terrorizing situations. But don't mistake God's goodness for God's inability or for God's uh, acceptance of your life. But count God's long-suffering to give you an opportunity to be saved. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Why is he waiting? He's long-suffering to us, to his elect people, not willing that any of the us were, yes, shall perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But if you presume upon God's goodness and grace, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So what is the message? What's the, how do we unpack this seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for, and by godly living, he's actually saying, it'll haste the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And you and I, brother and sister, can then look beyond even that. We, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Be not misled. God did not say he'll never destroy the earth again. He promised he'll never destroy the earth by water, but he will destroy the earth by fire. We can't hijack God's symbol without warning of judgment. Take the sign of the rainbow not as a license to be defiant, but a warning and an invitation to be humbled, to repent, to call upon the Lord, and to prepare for that great day of his aside. The judgment day will come before the fire destroys the heavens and the earth. But that fire that will destroy the heavens and the earth will then be confined in what's called Gehenna, the lake of fire. We know the fire, it's wild, it's dangerous, but fire that's confined and managed is appropriate. And it will not be for their warmth. It will be for their judgment. The rainbow is still God's sign. Whenever you see a rainbow, know that God is there. Amen. Lord, thank you for the symbols that you have left us. Remind us that you're real. That connect us with the history of your mighty acts and the history of our brothers and sisters, the history of our fellow human beings. Thank you for the rainbow, Lord. Pray that this would be a a symbol Remind us of your justice and your goodness. Lord, to motivate us to be grateful and humble. Thank you especially for the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ who was lifted up. Lifted above earth. That we might behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the rainbow is round about the throne. How beautiful, how comforting to the saints 
Lord, we pray that we would be warning shots to others. Dare not tamper with God's word and God's symbols. Lord, save sinners. Save lesbians and gay and bisexual and transsexual and queer. Liars and murderers. Whoremongers. Unbelievers. Idolaters. Such were we, Lord. Now we are washed. Now we are cleansed. Lord, save others. Please help us to love sinners. Please use us to point them to the the ark of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Appropriate for us to sing of God's great faithfulness, his covenant love. Hymn number 22.